Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello and welcome to Monday's Second Captain's Podcast. Hi Murph, I can. Hello there, how are you? I'm very, very good. I, I'm not very, just, very good. Yeah, I'm not just saying that through gritted teeth, Ken. Uh, you might notice I'm bringing extra enthusiasm to the pod today to make up for the spirit-crushing defeat at the Millennium Stadium, which has laid waste to Ireland's chances of winning the Six Nations and ruined my St. Patrick's weekend. Why did it ruin your weekend? Well, we were going to win a Grand Slam. We weren't going to win a Grand Slam. That was ruined on the opening weekend of the Six Nations. We were going to win a Six Nations title, Ken on the day after St. Patrick's Day. It's not going to happen now. What about the chance of upsetting the English apple cart? Ah, knocking the chariot off its course, track. Yeah, chariots don't really go on a track, do they? Well, they they do, yeah. Ben-Hur, I mean, the most famous chariot of them all. Yeah. was on a track, mm-hmm. a race track of some kind. They usually end up flying into the air and splintering into matchwood. It's often the way with chariots. I don't think yeah. it's going to happen this time. Remember the, remember the poor state of Masala. Was that his name, Ken? Sorry? He was in a bad old way. After the Ben-Hur chariot <laughs> race. <laughs> Ben-Hur's Roman rival slash lover. Uh, yeah, friend, perhaps lover, then rival. I mean... Yeah, enemies become friends. Friends become enemies. I've decided something about these Friday night fixtures. It's our first one. It was our first one. You don't uh, like them. Well, not if <laughs> you don't like them. They're not, they're not for you. Not though. if your team loses, because then you've got a full weekend of sitting around resentfully watching the other Six Nations games. Mm. Mm. Ah, you know, I, I feel like you're taking this very badly. You know, <laughs> I mean, come on. I'm not. Honestly, I, 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 it, was just, it was. It was. It was. It was mm. tough to take, but it shouldn't poison. You know, your St. Patrick's Day weekend. I mean, it's that's our that's our, our national day of holiday. You know, you should. You know, relax. There are there there are other things you can do. On you know, it's going to be fine. It's going to be okay. Is it weird that the more points England piled on to Scotland, the more slight fe- the, I felt a slight feeling of relief. They, they scored because they scored so many points that it got to the stage that oh, hang on, they won by forty. So even if we had beaten beaten Wales by a point or two, we still would have been left needing a bonus point win and probably something like a ten point win against England at home. So we wouldn't have won anyway. So it didn't, doesn't really matter that we lost on Friday night. That's what I'm <laughs> saying. I mean, we weren't going to come top. It was very bad defeat, though. Yeah. Which one of the stages is bargaining? <laughs> Second? Third? I, I thought... Well, somewhere in there, anyway, in the middle. 
I thought it was the poorest Ireland defeat in many years. Well, no, Scotland was worse. <laughs> was it? Ah, yeah. Because uh, we really didn't see the Scotland one coming. Yeah. Ah, is Joe Schmidt maybe the, you know, Arsene Wenger now? Are we getting to a Wenger <laughs> situation? Are we looking Irish at Irish rugby fan TV. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, that'd be so annoying. I would, I would, I would watch that. <laughs> I would watch at least the first few episodes of that. Yeah, angry Irish rugby fans until they became you Dem- know sad cliches of themselves, demanding change. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I would definitely. Someone should do that. We're at least one more bad tournament away from that level, I would say. But you, you don't know. Dennis Hickey and Jerry Thorny are going to be in to assess the damage shortly. See if we can turn it around in time to face this rampant England team on the brink of a Grand Slam. That's a challenge that the Irish women's team also face next weekend. Fortunately for them, well, not fortunately, through their own good work, Ireland are going for the Grand Slam themselves after grinding out a win in Cardiff. Should be a huge occasion on Friday night in Donnybrook, especially with a home World Cup on the way later this year. We'll chat to Jenny Murphy, the Irish centre, who missed more than a year of rugby. She had a back injury. So she missed last year's Six Nations, missed quite a lot of rugby, but she's timed her comeback quite nicely given how well the team are going. And... Uh, I've got to let you know right now, everybody, Wolfie is on the road this week. The Wiggins work has not been so effective in this round. He hasn't found the range. Yes, he did. He's going with the right. Dennis has come in. Gagan's outside him. And here goes Simon Gagan. And Gagan goes for the corner. And Gagan is in. And Ireland are in front. Well done, John Tracy. And well done, Steve. Duggan, back to Campbell, back to Duggan. McLaughlin going for that line, and Ireland are in and over, and the referee gives the try. Jerry McLaughlin. In goes Quinn. Yes, it's there. Yes, why are they so hard to beat? Well, I think you'll find the record that a lot of other countries find them hard to beat. I have been assured by Mark that the use of Werewolves of London for that bed, Murph, is only because we're going to London for the live show this week mm. and has nothing whatsoever to do with my hairiness. No, no, you're focusing on the entirely wrong word in the four-word uh, song title. Those clips were representative of successful Irish invasions of London over the years. Well, we only drew with that Quinner goal, but... That's I felt like successful. a win. And we needed a bit of soccer in there as well. So, <laughs> If you have any other examples of great Irish performances in London, in that big old brain of yours, sporting or otherwise, maybe send them in to editor at secondcaptains.com, Twitter at secondcaptains. Shane Long's header, of course. Another draw, yeah. wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Did we well, draw that? Well, yeah. Daniel Sturridge and Shane Long. Ah, who I remember with Sturridge. my man troops. Oh, no, was it, <laughs> was it Lampard? Oh, I can't remember. So maybe it was Sturridge got injured in that game. Our yeah. L- yep. So anyway, send them in. Any suggestions you have, our live London show will be podcasted for World Service members on Thursday night and on Friday afternoon of this week. So we're going to have a football show and a rugby show from the podcast and we'll put them both out there from the live show, should I say. We will podcast them both. Murph, you want to come in? Oh yeah, well, Galway's win over London in the 1999 uh, Comet Senior Football Championship. First game as All-Ireland Champions. I was there, of course, as a 17-year-old. Actually, 16-year-old. They all say they were Tried there to get now served in a London bar. Already? Oh, Failed miserably, but... Uh, Maybe save this for the live show. Yeah, good memories. <laughs> we can't wait to see all our second captaineers in London on Thursday. We've been told it was the fastest an event has ever sold out in Kennedy Hall in Camden. So thanks to all of our lovely people for that. As you already know, you're amazing. Yeah, we're... That has now been confirmed. And we purposely tried to not tell as many people as we could and still sold out in record time. Apparently the other reason for having Werewolves of London as a theme tune for this trip is because it's actually your favourite ever song, Murph. It is. True. It is. I, I, there, you should watch the video sometime on. It's uh, <laughs> it's one of the 
stupidest things you've ever seen, but a lot of hairy people in it. So if that's my kind of video. If you want to hear those shows <laughs> and you've yet to sign up to the World Service, you can do that on secondcaptains.com. We've also got episode number two of the Players' Chair this week. That's Wednesday. And it's Richie Sadler with Brian Kerr. It's going to be great. You remember Richie's the famous caption, his uh, goal-scoring exploits in the European Under-18 Championships all those years ago, which were mocked by many a viewer. Uh, only to be defended vigorously by Richie who said that was like the greatest moment of my life up until that point (laughs) Brian Kerr was a manager on that day and uh, those two go back a long way so looking forward to that on Wednesday so loads of great stuff coming up over the next few days but let's focus on today Back to Duggan, McLaughlin going for that line, and Ireland are in and over. Simon, Joe Schmidt facing some hard questions from Ken here and possibly from Irish Rugby Fan TV in the next while. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if you look over the last couple of years in competitive fixtures, so ignore the November internationals were obviously a high point, but the last two Six Nations have been pretty poor. I think irrespective of what happens against England uh, and draw a line from that World Cup quarterfinal against Argentina in big games, in games that we could win or should win, um, Ireland have failed and there's some repeated failings there. And in this Six Nations, there's no real excuse in terms of injuries. You know, I know Murray went out after about 45 minutes, but really, that's you expect the odd injury. Um, Ireland have been pretty lucky. The provinces are doing well now, particularly Leinster and Munster. So I think for the first time in his career, Joe Schmidt has done badly for two seasons in a row in competitions. I'm including his, his club coaching career here as well. And it looks like there might be a lack of ideas. This has repeatedly been said, but in the opposition 22, there's, or, or there's an over-reliance on certain tactics. And it's, we spoke about it after the Scotland game. Um, we said it again last season as well. And it hasn't been corrected. I mean, it's a pretty obvious thing. He obviously is trying to correct it, but we repeatedly go to the mall or we repeatedly try to bash teams up uh, and it's not working. Yeah, I saw the conversation on RTTV on the Saturday, the day after the game, there was a more considered conversation and they focus a lot on Schmidt. And the point was being made about that he's been failing in tournaments now for the World Cup and a couple of Six Nations in a row. But rugby's a funny one. Tournaments it's different from football where you just don't friendlies don't count they don't matter mm. in rugby they do so it just it seems a little bit unfair that you just write off the wins over South Africa and Australia and New Zealand by saying no. they did badly in last year's Six Nations they did badly in this year's Six no, Nations No we're not we're not doing that but we are taking into account the fact that teams really try and rev it up for tournaments obviously and you have to take into account the Southern Hemisphere teams aren't as keyed up as they would be for a World Cup or whatever other tournament it might be uh, it's not to diminish what happened against New Zealand and Australia in November, but there's some there's clearly some issues there now for definite. I mean, last year we thought maybe this Six Nations is a one-off, mm. but it's it's repeated over two seasons, so there's there's issues to be dealt with. All right, Dennis Hickey is ready to go, and Jerry Thorny is with me in studio. Jerry, let's let's get straight into it, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. <laughs> you look thrilled at the prospect of picking over all this. Okay, <laughs> the question is big picture after the performance in the last four games. Is it the case that we're just not as good as we thought we were? Possibly, yeah. Um, the level of performance hasn't scaled the heights of Chicago, All Blacks home game or Australia game, really. Um, in patches and obviously for 80 minutes, mostly in Rome, but that almost doesn't count. Um, I think that uh, it underlined a few things that if the opposition go after Conor Murray and Johnny Sexton and maybe CJ Stander, you'd do a lot 
to discommode Ireland and you stop them in their tracks. And they certainly, it was interesting that when North took the ball into contact with Conor Murray, Conor Murray plays in the defensive line and they ran at him a lot and they ran at him three times in the immediate aftermath and the next play, phase of play when he got injured, they clearly seemed to target him legitimately. Mm. I don't know whether it was part of their plan to get Johnny Sexton Sinbin, but certainly Jonathan Davies did a very good job of, and the others coming in to trapping him at the base of that ruck, which yet led to his yellow card. Um, so it effectively Ireland ended up without Conor Murray for more than half the match, given he was playing with one arm for the last five minutes the first half, first five the second, and they lost Johnny Sexton for almost 20 minutes through um, an HIA and through a sin-binning. In the, in the near 20 minutes he was off the pitch, Ireland conceded 15 points. The uh, defensive mistake which led to the pivotal opening try, which really you had to be there to sense maybe how much it changed the whole mood and dynamic of the match, came from, if you look at it, just freeze frame it, Paddy Jackson coming up hard, but ahead of both... Um, Robbie Henshaw is outside and Sean O'Brien is inside. It left the dog leg for Scott Williams to plough through and for Reese Webb to support him in the inside shoulder. And um, from there on, Ireland were always a little bit rattled. I think maybe exposed. Certainly when they get into the opposition 22, they can look a little bit blunt with the one-off runners and but so forth. They the tried a lot of moves, but Wales saw them coming. You have to give Wales as well, just one last thing. You have to give Wales a lot of credit for their performance. Yeah. You know, Teams don't roll over and die in this tournament. Least of all at home. Maybe Italy do at times, but not really. But certainly the rest don't. In the last two years, England are the only team to run away from home the Six Nations outside of Rome. Mm. Now, there is a tendency, I think, um, when we're analysing defeats, when Irish defeats are being analysed, to not recognise the strength of the opposition. And to be honest, if we were doing this an- analysis on Friday night or Saturday morning, I'd probably be talking a bit more about Wales. But it's taken as read. Wales played, th- played their part. Wales were the better team. Like Looking at the bigger picture, how we can't find our way out of those situations. Like you talk about the try conceded while Johnny Sexton was off the field. Johnny Sexton's off the pitch a lot these days, unfortunately, mm-hmm. for various reasons. Mm-hmm. Paddy Jackson's a, a, a regular member of that squad and of that team. Why do the why do we, as you say, get rattled and not find our way, not find solutions to these problems in the way that we did as recently as November? Well, in the November games, bar the Australian match and, and the New Zealand match, they lost, certainly in Chicago, they, they led from the front a lot of the ways. Things went right for them. They go to the corner for a line-out mall. They score off it. I think they scored four of their five tries in Chicago from going to the corner. The tactic hasn't worked so well since then. It didn't work three times in the return match. And when you blunt Ireland's lineup, Maul, by going after their lineup, it was a very pivotal moment early in the game as well. When Ireland, I thought it was curious, turning down three points a few times in a low, what was always liable to be a low-scoring game away from home. I'd rather, rather take Ron O'Gara's point that you take your three points when you can, particularly away from home. But... Very, very interesting in a game that had uncanny echoes of two years ago when Ireland also lost to a fired-up Welsh defensive performance when Ireland first went to the corner that day. And again on Friday night, Alan Wynne-Jones got up in the air and beat CJ Stand with the ball. I thought, having it been a curious call to go to the corner, he was equally curious not to go to Devon Toner. They did in the next line-out and he went, I'm struggling to remember in the fingers of one hand how many times Devon Toner's been beaten in the air. He's your, he's your guaranteed ball. But in any event... I think there's a lot of momentum shifts in that game. There's that line out of Ireland score off that and go 7-3 ahead. The mood music for the match is completely different. If um, Paddy Jackson doesn't step out of that line of three, I don't think they pen- I don't think Wales penetrated and scored that try, which was seismic in terms of George North also being the finishing product for it. And then, of course, even then, if Ireland had come back to take the lead through Rory Best and the line at Maul of Robbie Henshaw just turns a f- the Maul a fraction of a second later or earlier, whatever, it just and gets in slightly behind the ball, it's a try, and Sexton has a conversion to kick Ireland in front. These are three big pivotal moments in the game, and pivotal moments seem to be going against this team in the two away matches to date. Dennis, are we, did we overrate the team coming into the Six Nations? 
No, I don't think so because I think we had a um, based on the you know what what they've achieved since last summer. If you follow on from there, uh, the first time to, to to beat South Africa in South African Test Test match and lucky enough to win the series, uh, and then. Um, Obviously, what they did achieve in Chicago, and, and not just that game, but just their performance in the in the second test, and also beating Australia. I think we went in with the the right level of expectation going to the Six Nations, uh, and I thought, you know, they obviously they didn't start the tournament well, but since that game against Scotland, the 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 um, the graph of of improvement has been going upwards. You know, they played better, obviously, again in, in Italy. It's hard to know how much better because Italy were very weak that day, probably as weak as they've been in the tournament. Um, but they, you know, the, the game against France and the win against France was impressive for lots of different other reasons. So I thought the level of expectation uh, was realistic. Also, I think against the backdrop of where Wales were, and I think a lot of people, including a lot of people in Wales, felt that. Wales are really struggling going into this game, so I thought the level of expectation was 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 right. And, you know, unfortunately, like I was, I was over at the match, and my my summary of of where we are when we play Wales has always been something similar. Uh, one year, you know, year to year, the 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 gap between the two teams can often start stop start wider. So you know, some years Wales can be a clear favourite, and some years Ireland could be a clear favourite going into the game, but as we get, that's usually the week before the match, and as we get closer to the, to the actual kickoff, the gap between the two teams actually shortens. Uh, and I don't think I've ever either played in a Wales match or gone to a Wales match when just before kickoff I didn't think it could go either way, mm. um, because that's just the nature of these fixtures, particularly in Cardiff. And Wales, irrespective of the pressure they're under, were always going to put out a performance because they had to. So many individuals and collectively, they were under so much pressure to repay the coach, uh, coaching staff, but also I think individually, a lot of a lot of people had to perform. Um, so, you know, I agree with what Jerry said. The, the momentum in the game just changed a huge amount in and around when Wales scored that try and then the, and the sin bidding and then the, the, the loss of points then. Because up to the point when Wales scored that try, Ireland were, I thought, pretty comfortable. Uh, and you know, the noise around the stadium for the first 10, 15 minutes was a lot of murmuring, a lot of, you know, a lot of silence, a lot of uneasy shifting on chairs because there, there was a sense that Ireland were imposing that game on Wales. And then between the injury to, to Murray and then the sin bidding, Ireland completely lost their shade. Not un, not completely un, understandably. I, I, I think it was understandable that they would have that loss of momentum. And they were struggling a little bit like Joe Schmidt was a little bit like the, the boxing coach in the corner screaming at his boxer just to, to hang on to the bell. Hmm. And that's exactly what happened um, for that last kind of 10 minutes, even 15 minutes of that first half. And, and all through that time, it never looked like Ireland could get back into the game and, and pose any shape. So all of a sudden, they lost a big chunk of the match where they were backpedaling and all that time Wales were building their confidence and went in at halftime saying we can win this match uh, and that's what they came out to do in the second half you know? Dennis are Ireland a less powerful team than they think they are because from what I can see against Scotland and Wales I think they fancy their chances of bullying those two packs uh, particularly with that hard running back row that we have but repeatedly they're getting chopped down but it's a tactic that we're going to again and again and the same with them all it's been stopped by France it's been stopped by Scotland it's been stopped by Wales so are we overrating ourselves in certain areas but still going to those areas repeatedly I don't know really I don't really know in a test match what your alternative is you know both sets of teams know going to the game certainly Ireland you know they know that they you know you have to win those collisions you have to get over if if your forwards can get you over the line and generate quick ball you know, you've no real business winning a test match. So Ireland can't come up with a game plan that takes them away from that. No more than England can, or Wales can, or, or anyone can. If you lose that collision, which is a starting point for every restart in the match, 
very difficult to win a game. Um, so to so to, to think Ireland could win doing anything other than what they're what they've been very good at uh, in lots of test matches. Well, you this don't year. you don't have to go to them all every time. You don't have to kick for a touch from penalties. You could take three points r- rather than backing yourselves in those situations. Yeah, well, I, I certainly on the on the latter point about kicking to touch, that was clearly a, uh, that was clearly a, um, a tactic. Clearly, a tactic they they decided to do at the start of the week because there was no hesitation, there was no debate about well, are we going to have a kick or not. Any any time those penalties came up in that part of the pitch, very close to the touchline, a lot of them were as well. They were, that's exactly what they planned to do, um, and you know that's that's a tactical um, call that they've made before the match, and you know obviously the coaching team will have to uh, take that on the chin and the players in, in the sense that you know you make that gamble on the basis that you think on probability you're going to convert it. Uh, so when that doesn't come off, it has a double whammy of of uh, you know you not being able to execute your game plan. And then the opposition gets buoyed by the by their defence, which is exactly what Wales did as they kind of built in confidence during the game. So yeah, like I would have gone, you know, I would be I would be a, certainly a supporter uh, when you're away of kicking your points and, and keeping the clock going and certainly nullifying the the home side. It's certainly when any team comes to to the Aviva, you know, if they can do that, it just takes this thing out of Ireland. So you know, it was it was a, it was a risky tactic and it also didn't didn't pay off. Well, if Dennis is right, Jerry, that we need to win the context, then we need to be worried against England because Eddie Jones certainly rates them as having a power differential against almost any other side in the world. But what about that idea that Ireland would have decided early in the week, say, to kick to the corner, would have decided early in the week to try and use that back row to overpower Wales, uh, to use them all repeatedly? And it's as if they can't go away from that then. So if it doesn't work, then what do we do next? Well, there were a few good few um, decoy runners out the tr- out the back going around the corners. I thought they went wide a fair bit. They tried cross kicks. I mean, I thought Ireland actually tried quite a lot, as well as boshing up the one-off runners, which didn't get them over the game line very often at all. But, there, you know, there was one tumultuous 25-phase attack. That was, they threw an awful lot at Wales. Um, and perhaps just, you know, they, they, it was surprising to see the stats say seven line breaks apiece. It didn't feel like that. It felt like a game of very, very small margins and Ireland couldn't pierce that Welsh defence. You know, I was always fearful that Wales would turn up with a big, mighty defensive effort on, based on emotion. They're still one of the toughest nuts in the world to crack. They very nearly beat England, after all, with uh, at home. Um, when Warburton, I think Warburton really should get himself a yellow cap or something so that we can appreciate the work he does as well as Tipperidge, but the two of them were just phenomenal. I think Warburton yeah. had 18 tackles. They're just a very hard team to penetrate. I, we're, we're just, like, sorry, we're just maybe focusing on Wales a little bit too much because we are talking bigger picture. Okay. And, All right, and, okay. and, and the, last, the last two Six Nations are ultimately disappointing now. Yes, it's an undistinguished campaign for a team that had such high hopes, was aiming so high. I think you're right. I think there was a preordained tactic in tandem with the Green to have the roof closed that they were going to go to the corner. And ultimately, whether or not that tactic worked or not, or not, they only scored nine points. And even if they'd scored 12 or 15, it probably wouldn't have been enough. You have to score tries to win matches. And they were, there was a lack of precision when you certainly contrast that with England and you look at the way they carved Scotland apart with strike moves. That was the third game Wales had played this season where they'd scored off a strike move. I'm trying to think when Ireland have scored off a strike move through their backs. They very nearly did and it led to the try against France with a perfectly executed um, wrap around Green Rose's pass, the decoy run for Sexton against France, the decoy runners from Carney and Zebo and others. It was just perfectly executed, but there has there wasn't that precision um, on Friday night. You think of the two costly turnovers off Sean O'Brien early in the second half, one of which led to their try off a mall in the blind side when there was no forward defender on the blind side and Simon Zebo was left exposed. Um, and certainly you think back to the move off the five metre scrum late in the game where they go for the inside pass to Keith Earls and cough over the cough up the ball. 
you can't really be doing that and expect to win away from home against a good Welsh side. So there was certainly a lack of precision in some of the handling at times. There was complaints about the, the pitch having been watered before the game. Um, and they certainly spilled a few balls. Jamie Heaslip on characteristically as well. But then again, it was the same, <laughs> condi- about that complaint, same conditions. Both, both same teams. conditions for both yeah. teams. Same conditions. I was just about to say that. Yeah. Same conditions for both teams. So it w- it's unusual to see that in a Joe Schmidt team. It's what Leinster and Ireland teams over the years have always prided themselves on the precision in the passing and the accuracy of it. It just wasn't quite there. Dennis, we've prided ourselves, or certainly we've gone into big games with huge confidence in the last four or five years under Joe Schmidt. We've generally felt, well, whatever else happens, we've got the better coach and certainly the smarter coach who's going to have the better plan to do what he can with the players at his disposal. Is that the case anymore? Is Even looking ahead to next weekend, is, is it fair to say that Eddie Jones is actually the smartest coach in the Six Nations at the moment? <laughs> well, two weeks ago we were saying Conor O'Shea was the smartest coach in the Six Nations. So, you know, that's, that's a bit of a movable feast. You know, whether it's, he's the smartest or one of the smartest or in the top three smartest, like we have a very good coach who, who's got a lot out of this team. Some of the tactics... Um, he came up short with this this week, um, and some of the skill level came up short this week. And it, it's kind of difficult for a coach, for example, to legislate for guys who who make very little mistakes. You saw some some players like Jamie Heaslip. I haven't seen him drop as many balls in 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 a season as he did at times at the weekend. That's very uncharacteristic. So very hard hard to legislate for that. It's certainly not in the planning as as you uh, as you approach the week. So I, I'm still not. I'm not. Uh, I haven't, I haven't lost my confidence in the ability of Joe Schmidt to to come up with a game plan to beat England. Um, the the difficulty it's a you know it's a little bit bit like you, you can say the same thing when going to play New Zealand. Having the game plan is one thing, being actually able to make it effective against a team as good as England is is another. It sounds like um, you're not so particularly critical at all, though, of Schmidt. You don't think has Schmidt not had a bad campaign? Is it not largely on the coach? Because when we win the Six Nations and we we win things under Schmidt, he gets a hell of a lot of praise. Is he not due some criticism now? Uh, well, like, I'm not saying he's had a he's had a. You know, you're asking us was have we have, do we think we've a smarter coach than we actually yeah. have? Uh, and I think you know I think we do have one of the best coaches in in world in, in world rugby. Does that mean that the the, the performance uh, of Ireland team has been up to the standards that uh, we're, we've been used to expecting? He'd be expecting no. And does that mean he's got to carry the can for it? Of course it does, um, and he will be judged on this campaign going into the campaign going into this match. Um, Speaking to some people for the match, it was very much a crunch game in the sense that it was if Wales lost the, the game, it was a disa- it was a very bad, disastrous campaign probably mm. for them. Ireland lost the game, it becomes a very bad campaign, and that doesn't change. Even if Ireland win, it'll it'll uh, at the weekend it'll put them glass on it. But losing to Scotland and losing to Wales in the same season um, is not a good campaign for Ireland. So you know Joe Schmidt will be will be judged on that by by the IRFU. Um, but you know looking ahead to next week, do do we think we have got a coach who can come up with a game plan to beat England? Yeah, I still do think we do have a coach who can do that. And that, that my my view on that hasn't changed. It's just that Ireland will need to play better and they will need to get some of their strategic calls that they got wrong last week right. You know their decisions to not kick points has come back to haunt them um, came back to haunt them in the game um, uh, but you know I still think some of the, 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 the rugby they did, they did try to play against the Wales at the weekend was quite, quite expansive they did try to certainly around the middle of the pitch they had uh, you know a, 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 they used a they used a kind of a, a rolling play with Johnny Sexton at the back which uh, he was able to take kind of an inside pass from uh, some of the forwards and, and uh, create a bit more width so 
you know, I do think um, I do think that uh, Joe Schmidt will cop criticism. I think uh, it hasn't been a good season now, irrespective of what happens at the weekend. But what's left is to put in a performance that's more in keeping with with um, the performances in November than we've seen so far in the Six Nations. If we're being very optimistic about this, Jerry, the Irish players will be in a similar mindset on Saturday to, to what the Wales were, albeit. Our players don't get abused in coffee shops in the way that O'Gara described the Welsh players as, as copying abuse when their team isn't going well. So we, maybe we don't quite have that level of uh, animosity towards an underperforming national rugby team. Do, are you optimistic that they'll be in the right frame of mind? You, you would have seen the players after the game, certainly on TV. Rory Best looked shattered. There was just no consolation. There was no thought. It looked as though he was, not that he was dreading the game the next week, but he was going to take a, at least a few days to wrap his head around it. Are you confident that that will all be okay by the weekend? Yeah, well, completely, yeah. Utterly, completely, utterly confident of that. Um, you're talking about the immediate aftermath of the game, and you're talking about the skipper, um, who hasn't even had a shower, a chance to change his clothes. He's bound to be down for And had a bad game personally. Which Didn't have a great game personally. Help, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Um, he's got a lot of miles on the clock now, and they went after the line out. There's no doubt about it, as they've done before Wales, and they nicked three of his throws. Um, so he wouldn't have been happy with his day at the office. But um, certainly, I think, as the week progresses, and England loom into view, and the Chariot looking to roll into town and claim a world record 19th win and back-to-back Grand Slams. Mm-hmm. And look, Ireland have done this before. Back in 2001, 2011, they didn't have a title to play for, but England coming the last day. It motivates all opposition sides, particularly at home. That England are the team we all want to beat the most. And it's also hugely important in terms of the optics of where the team finishes on the table. Because, you know, if Ireland finish second... It's, it looks a hell of a lot better than finishing fifth and anything, all that's possible, second, third, fourth, fifth. The, the final table will tell no lies, but I think actually this the table currently, as of, after four games, tells the most truth of all. England are mass, way clear of the posse. Then there's a peloton of which four, one team covers four te- one point covers four teams and then Italy are drift. I always said from the outset that this was the most competitive Six Nations I've known in some time and that a really good side is going to finish fifth. And that could be Scotland, that could be France, that could be Wales and that could be Ireland. Any one of them can still finish fifth and that's not going to look very good the next Monday morning. Plus, just for the whole team's development, it would puncture an awful lot of the good feeling they have amongst themselves in a season that began by beating the All Blacks and included a win over Australia to end up in fourth or fifth having lost three out of five games. Um, so I think, yeah, there'll be huge motivation there and it's England and I think it'll be largely the same group of players and hopefully Conor Murray will be past fit to play. That being said, at the moment, England are just playing better rugby than anybody else. It was almost like they were playing a different sport on Saturday, the way they carved Scotland open. Nobody's been doing that. They hadn't really performed that well in the first three games. Your Eddie Jones, certainly anything he does at the moment, just turns to gold. He drops Jonathan Joseph for a match. He hasn't scored a try for Bath all season. Comes back, scores a hat-trick. You know, everything Eddie Jones is doing, and also what they've got that no team, other team has, is the strength and depth off the bench. You know, Danny Kerr coming on, scoring two tries. You've got Anthony Watson coming back as a fabulous player. Just their strength and depth right across the bench is so good. Jamie George coming on for Dylan Hartley has added value every time he's come on in all four games to date. So if Ireland are to win this as well, I think the scale of the challenge will motivate them and it'll motivate the Irish crowd. And it's five o'clock on a Saturday. It's the last game of the tournament. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> no, Ireland won't lack for motivation. Dennis, reading the papers this morning, there's quite a few people looking for changes. I suppose you'd expect after a second loss in the Six Nations. This is, looking across the team, it's actually it's quite a young team. It's only really Dunnock, Ryan, Heaslip and Rory Best that are heading towards their mid-30s. So, they're, you know, this is the team we'll have for the World Cup. So I don't expect Joe Schmidt to make many changes. But the one area that really I thought stood out was the back row. They're three really talented people, but they, none of them I thought played well particularly at the end. CJ Stander came in for some praise, but, you know, he carried the ball a lot, but without a huge amount of success. Would you look at changes anywhere? 
Well, I, I think if there's going to be changes, certainly in the back row, it might be on the basis as they feel maybe need a different type of line option with Peter Armani, um, as opposed to singling out any one of the back row for a, a, a sub-par performance. Because as you say, neither of them played particularly, like none of them played particularly well, or certainly as well as they played. And I actually thought Jane Heaslip going into the game had actually played himself into one of his best seasons because you know he was. People were people were were writing him off a little bit at the start of the season, and he's been one of Ireland's most consistent performers. He's had a very strong season with Leinster, so he had a poor game the weekend. So what do you do? Do you do you going into the biggest game of the year? Do you uh, put someone else to number eight, uh, and, the, and the disruption that would have to the you know the entire eight, nine, ten access, uh, especially if their number nine is struggling with fitness? It doesn't seem to me like a logical decision, uh, to, lo- logical change to make given the given. Um, the um, given the overall contribution he makes, so uh, yeah, I think if anyone's going to come uh, under pressure, it might be you know maybe Sean O'Brien or CJ Sander, but lar- that'll largely be I think around the, the lineout um, uh, option that uh, Peter Armani brings, rather than um, rather than saying well you know neither of them played well against Wales, so we're going to drop one of you know because neither of them played well. You're, you're, you're going to you're going to you'd have to make a decision between between either of them, and, and it's um, you're going to what what you win what you'll you, what you'll bring in the line out uh, option you're losing the ball carrying option um, because obviously I would say both uh, Sean O'Brien and CJ Stander are superior ball carriers in the loose which you will need against England uh, which Ireland needs certainly yeah. to generate their go forward ball so it, it's a big big decision to make I, I can see him maybe not, not, not making a change yeah, I could see that too. A lot of it predicates on whether Conor Murray's pass fit or not. If you're going to start a match against England with Kieran Marmee at nine, that's going to make you, understandably, more reluctant to make changes elsewhere. If you do bring Peter Mahoney into the back row, it almost has to be for CJ Stander. If you think about it, you could move Stander to eight and drop Heaslip. I think that's a bit drastic because he's such an important cog in the team. Maybe never his greatest game. But you almost have to play Sean O'Brien because Stander, Mahoney and Heaslip, none of them really fit the number seven role. And we don't have a Josh van der Fleer there. So um, the... the the scope for changing the back row is actually more limited than it appears. Okay, well, I'm sure we'll be chatting about it as the week goes on. Listen, Jerry, great stuff. Cheers. Dennis, thanks a million. No problem, thanks. Chief, you don't got this out with mother about. You're a wee, mate. Your bags in your desk, boom. Your bags in your desk, boom. I mean, I'm fucking raging, speaking from my heart. Who would I want in? I've got big Terry Butcher in. Mr. Tate, how you doing? Not too good after tonight. You got the job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. Take no beep, I take no beep, I take no, I take no, I take no beep. Just so soft, don't try to get so deep. You know me, but I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell, can't yell, can't yell me. You have lost the fans tonight. You don't deserve the fans. What's it, fans? Just need to fucking work on it. You are nothing. You are a fool, and you are a waste of time. Good night. Oh, the Guinness Book of Records stuff. Get a grip. Got a tweet here from at I am the Phil. So I presume Phil is the gentleman's mm. name. Anyone the go- Phil. <laughs> the Not Phil. just any old yeah. Phil. Anyone going to mention the fact that Ireland have conceded 19 or more points nine times since Andy Farrell came on board? Yeah, in 11 games. And that includes Canada scored, I think, 21 or 22 points against us. So it's just Italy and France. And France was a rainy day where there weren't many points on show anyway. 19 plus would be considered... Only two. It's not exactly leaking no. like a sieve, albeit a few of them have been well above 19. It's um, the it's, yeah, you might expect to lose a game, though. You'd probably ordinarily expect to lose a Six Nations game if you concede 19 points. 
And it's it's not the thing that really sticks out in your head with Ireland at the moment. Sure, it's not. You think more of the attacking issues. But uh, against Scotland, Scotland was the, the one time where people all of a sudden we just thought, oh, hang on a sec, we have an issue with defence here, yeah. particularly out wide, as was pointed out, and that was a problem against Argentina as well in the last World Cup. So it was there, but then we forgot about that problem as the tournament progressed, and we we shipped three tries. The last one is a bit harsh to blame on Andy Farrell, yeah. <laughs> given that we were chasing the game and Johnny Sexton got blocked down. But yeah, we are conceding tries. Yeah, no, like the we're boiling our performances down nearly now to the performance or otherwise of our line-out mall. Uh, because in Chicago, our line-out mall was mm. exceptional. Yep. Uh, and we scored five tries and beat uh, New Zealand. Since the return fixture in the Aviva, where we uh, failed to capitalise on a couple of five-metre line-outs, it, it's just been a recurring theme. And, I mean, it seems kind of daft to say that it all comes down to that. But, I mean, that was such an absolutely key part of our game. And now teams are defending our line-out mall and it's not even that difficult. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you look at how well uh, France defended our lineup mall, Wales, and the amount of uh, poor throws, you know, lineups just lost as opposed to lineup malls not converted. I mean, if if a, a factor of our game that's so important to us is malfunctioning, and not just in one game or in one half, but over the course of the last seven or eight games that we've played, and that's a huge problem. Yeah, and just on that point of power differential in Ireland thinking maybe they can bully sides I thought it was really instructive to see Keith Earls who's probably been our best player in this Six Nations repeatedly break the line break tackles even in tight space even when he was taking it into traffic he was the one gaining ground as you watch repeatedly our bigger guys Sean O'Brien CJ Stander Jamie Heaslip Devin Toner get knocked backwards so there's something there kind of a lesson for Ireland thinking that you know it's not all about trying to explode past somebody when trickery and feet and, and pace and smarts are actually what work. Right, the Irish women's team have a World Cup at home to look forward to later this year and they're just one game away from going into that one as Grand Slam winners. Jenny Murphy, no pressure? Ah, uh, yeah, no, uh, we're we're pretty happy with Sam, just looking forward to to the final game now. Yeah, a bit nervous, but good nerves rather than anything else. The Wales game, Jenny, was another tight one. Uh, I suppose that's the way it's transpired. I, I read some interviews before the tournament started and you guys were hoping to expand your game as much as possible, give yourselves as many options going into the World Cup. As it's happened, there seem to have been quite a lot of dogfights this year. Yeah, I, I we haven't performed as well as we'd like, but we were still able to grind out the wins. And like we've, we've changed tactics a bit through each game and, and we've, probably focused on ourselves a lot more than than the other teams which is I think important it just shows how far we've come in the last um, five years it's less about kind of nullifying what the other team has and more about playing to our strengths we just kind of want to go out against England and play some ball that we know that we're capable of playing and hopefully hopefully come away with the win again It was a funny sort of a day in Cardiff at the weekend, Jenny. It was emotional, obviously, for the Welsh players. One of their players, Ellie Norcott, uh, tragically passed away last month. From your guys' point of view, was it a difficult situation to handle that you had to pay your respects to the opposition but also stay switched on? There was a match to be played? We we talked about it in um, leading up into the game that we knew we were we were going to go into what was going to be a very emotional Cardiff um, Arms Park and we knew the girls, that the Welsh girls were going to be massively up for it and, and they had been speaking all week about a 16th girl on the pitch and so we, we kind of acknowledged it and then put it to the back of our minds. I guess I, like it was it was very sad at the 
the anthems and the four present present uh, presenting her sister with with a jersey, but you acknowledge it, and then when the when the whistle goes, you're that's that's your main focus, and we we knew that's what we had to do. We we spoke about it and dealt with it, and then kind of that was done. We just had to play rugby and. Yeah, and it was it was we had to defend an awful lot. They were absolutely ferocious, I have to say, especially for the first twenty minutes. And when we kept them kept them at bay, we knew we were like got the worst of it over. It. Now we had to play our game ourselves. Yeah, there was always going to be a ferocity, I guess, to how they were going to approach that game. Just from your own point of view, you were out for a long time. Oh, about fourteen months was it in total with injury? Uh, yeah, just over just over fourteen, yeah, fifteen right. and a half months. A, a, um, a back back problem. Well, obviously a pretty significant back problem. Uh, yeah, I had um, a Paris defect, like little fractures in the back that sounded a lot more serious than it, it is. But it just took it just took a while to heal, a lot longer than maybe the average. Um, for some reason, um, but medical staff were great, and I got through it in the end. I'm not the most patient of people, so <laughs> it was a struggle initially. But I'm absolutely delighted to be playing rugby again, let alone being back in the green jersey. Yeah, I don't think I've ever met a sports person who's patient during lengthy layoffs from, from injury. Uh, Jenny, oh, uh, yeah, I'd say it's a nightmare. An absolute demon. I, yeah. <laughs> I felt really bad for all my friends that were <laughs> hanging around me <laughs> yeah. around then. Were you, as you said, it kind of took longer than expected. Was there ever a concern that you mightn't, I don't want to make this uh, more serious than it was necessarily, but were you concerned after 10, 11 months out that you mightn't get back or you mightn't get back to a high level? Yeah, I think around the the seventh, seventh month mark, I kind of um, hit a slump and it was, I was taking a lot more backward steps than I would have liked and even though I was getting reassurances from from the medical staff that knew me one or two people that were new doctors and, and physios that, that weren't involved at all and were just speaking kind of and, and hadn't seen nothing were expressed concern and were, were kind of like have you looked at maybe doing anything else or maybe stepping away from the rugby and that was that hit me pretty hard for a while because it's not something you really think about when you're when you're going through your rehab process. You just want to kind of put one step in front of the other. So for about two days, I was there was there was definitely a lot of doubt. And will I get back? And what do I do if this is the end and I'll never play rugby again? And then oh, my housemate Ashley again kind of gave me a swift kick up the ass and <laughs> was like, "Cop on to yourself, just keep going." And it worked out all right in the end. It really did. Your first Six Nations game back was the Scotland match and you scored the winning try in that one in injury time. By that point, were you pretty confident in yourself? You are confident in your body that it was it was back? Yeah, we. I had got a couple of club games under my belt. Um, we played with Leinster uh, during the Interprovincials and, and we did well. So, yeah, I knew it was up for it. But then the the leap from from provincial to international is... It, it can be quite significant. So it was... I think I was more nervous the first two minutes of that game walking around the pitch and then after I got walloped in the, in the first tackle and I was like, oh, that was actually grand and did, haven't thought about after that. I just kind of went out and knocked on a few balls but other than that, I had to shark myself up but the body was, body was grand, the hands maybe weren't where I wanted them to be but 
Yeah, so it goes. I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm sure. Sure, that comes back quickly enough. The uh, there was a bit of controversy earlier on in the season with the team in the Six Nations with the three players who were called up for the sevens tournament in Las Vegas rather than being able to play against France. Um, uh, there was a lot talked around, uh, you know, by people outside the squad about that. Uh, I don't know how much y- you could necessarily say, Jenny, but did it impact on the players that week? You managed to get the win against France. Did, did it? Did it kind of seep into the camp? The controversy that was swirling around. Like we we briefly spoke about it, but kind of the girls were contracted, so they didn't really have a choice in the matter, and we just had to get on with it. I think, like in rugby, a lot of the times players can get injured a day or two before a game, and things like that happen. Maybe like the girls were obviously fine, fully fit, thank God, but um, like sometimes players just like players are unavailable, and obviously that was a unique situation. But we just kind of grit our teeth got through it and in the end got the win I think a lot of it was you know disappointment that they were going away but delighted that they did well in Vegas and obviously we were over the moon that we we beat France and it's been a while since we beat them so no it was just kind of spoke about it dealt with it and then got on with their own job at hand which was dealing with France in the meantime, England have been racking up pretty big scores. 64-0 against Scotland at the weekend, including seven tries by one player. Uh, I suppose you can let them have the favourites tag for this one. Yeah, that's grand. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're perfectly happy with yeah. that. Like Obviously, England have been playing um, very well since the start of the season. So, yeah, they're like obviously the scoreline's big, but again, they've got four wins. We have four wins. And um, maybe they might their wins might be a little bit prettier than ours, but you know, come Friday night we'll see we'll see what the story is. But um, no, I'm looking forward to the game. I'm perfectly happy for them to have the favourite tags. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's going to be it's going to be 23 versus 23, and I think that we can do a job. Yeah, absolutely. We wish you well. Um, best of luck on Friday night, Jenny. Thanks very thanks very much for talking to us. Thank you. Timbuktu. They're all pampered. We haven't got leaders. They're all just headphones. They don't communicate. You can't get anything out of them. That's why we're no good. They're all just headphones. They don't kick out on the pitch. They don't communicate off the pitch. They're all pampered. Oh, we're getting ready for Russia. Good luck. And then after that, we'll be building a team for Timbuktu. Timbuktu. How have England reacted to that equaliser? Perfectly. Um, no panic. Calm straight down. Continue dominating the game, playing and staying in Iceland's hearts. It's been the perfect response. You'd think that no problem. England will after four minutes. And they still lost. The only thing that they have got is the big boy up front, Sigurdsson, who really, Sigthorsson. Oh, oh my word. Oh. Tell us, talk us through that, Steve. I think we know what's happened. Oh, we'll just say, Sigthorsson. <laughs> just cannot. We haven't even mentioned Cheltenham, which begins tomorrow. Mm. I'm sure everyone will be will be glued to the TV over the next few days. Murph, any tips for... Do I have a few tips, yeah. Well, uh, you're a resident racing expert. You have tips. 
Yeah, yeah, Midnight Jazz in the OLGB mirrors. Hang on, a hang on, a second. Midnight Jazz. Where, yeah. did the, where did this information come from? Well, do you have Do you have information? No, no, that's just a horse's name that most sounds like a late career Brian Dennehy adult themed movie. <laughs> what, what was it? What was the name of that horse? Uh, Midnight Jazz. Uh, or you can put that in a double with My Tenter Yours in the champion hurdle if you're going for more of a kind of carry on vibe. Uh, it's a freebie in the Close Brothers Novice <laughs> Handicap Chips is also one that I'm tipping up for you on. Uh, in honour of all the betting companies who are going to make so much money this week that they're refunding basically 90% of the bets <laughs> that a punter can put on and still make millions from the other 10%. <laughs> Happy betting, everyone! <laughs> all right, I think we better wrap things up. A huge week coming up on the World Service with the Players' Chair with Brian Kerr on Wednesday. We've got the live show from London still to come. Hopefully, we'll have as much fun as we did last week talking Barcelona PSG. Boy, was that show a lot of fun to do. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Alan. Thank you, Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Alan. Cheers. If they get another one in the next couple of minutes, I don't know how much stoppage time there's going to be yet. <laughs> oh, man. Just starts you wondering a little bit again. Yeah. Messi through. Suarez! That was he fouled there. Yes, he was. He's given a penalty. He's given oh, a penalty. We're not done here yet. Dempsey Neymar. Dempsey Barazzini. Neymar. Goal, 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 now 30 seconds remaining. Neymar kicks it forward into the river. the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.